Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Ansham at Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig about this week's Torah portion of Re'eh, a return to the Garden of Eden. Let me start with a big question. How seriously do you take the stories in the Bible? In other words, how much, how factual do you think they are? Wow, do I have to put a number on it? Seventy percent. Seventy percent. All right. What about you? <laughs> well, the question is, what does truth really mean here? What does uh, reality really mean? Because if you if we take a more expansive understanding of that idea, then I would say a hundred percent. Okay. In other in other words. The fact that the uh, narrative happened or didn't happen is inconsequential to the truth of the narrative. And I'm going to prove my point. So you're grading on a curve. I'm grading on a curve, right? So if you take that idea, what is possibly factual as we understand factual, true as in the scientific understanding, where would you rate the story of the Garden of, the, of Eden? It can be very difficult to prove. <laughs> yeah, it was very politic. Um, <laughs> right. So you're saying that it would rate low on the Jonathan I truth scale. Yeah. I'm not going to assign like Pinocchio's like the, I think it's the Washington Post assigns Pinocchio's yeah. politicians when they lie. I wouldn't do that. But I would say that uh, I, I would enter with some skepticism on that one. I want to acknowledge, first of all, your skepticism, but I also want to say that as we come to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, the Torah is going to come back to the story of Garden of Eden in a really interesting way. We understand the story. We know that um, Adam and Eve are, according to the Torah, the first people created, and that God plants a tree in the middle of the garden and tells them not to eat of the tree. And of course, they do eat of the tree and they suffer the consequences. Did that happen? Is there a tree like this in the Garden of Eden? Where would the Garden of Eden be? That's a, those are all questions that people have speculated about, but it certainly seems more mythical than anything else. I'm sure you'd agree. Right. It seems like a, a storyteller's device to uh, help us understand our history, but not necessarily one that uh, anyone can, can document. Let's put it that way. And it's certainly the fodder for innumerable cartoons in the New Yorker, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it, that's a bonus, I'd say. <laughs> okay, so there are benefits to these stories, so thank you very much for that. So here the children of Israel are at the end of the journey, the journey in the desert. And this is Moses' last will and testament. And he's standing there, and they can see the land that they're going to go into. And Moses is now the vehicle for God and says, Re'eh, see, I place before you, I set before you blessing and curse. Blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I enjoin you this day, and curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn away from the path that I enjoin upon you this day and follow other gods whom you have not experienced. What I want to posit is that this moment is a recreation of the garden. The tree is before them, and 
the tree of knowledge isn't knowledge as we it's, it's not to have kind of a supercomputer brain that knows everything but knowledge on the deeper level is a consciousness of god the blessings that you've received and the mandate to settle this land because you're part of this covenantal relationship in other words the knowledge of the tree of good and evil is the ultimate test of the notion of free will and people are told at this time you're going into this land if you keep the torah if you make this place a place of holiness where the poor are considered etc and we've raised this to the level of a holy place a place worthy of god's presence then you'll be blessed but if you choose to follow other gods in other words if you choose not to follow the torah to kind of go on your own path then do it at your own risk because you're going to suffer the consequences and so it's all about free will right the choice is in your hands and so in a way the garden of eden story is about as real as it gets in other words it's a story that keeps repeating itself throughout history because it's a story about the human condition and so it is um the most real of stories whether or not it actually took place as portrayed in the torah well it strikes me that what you're saying here is that the choice that we make is also to accept the truth of the stories to accept the truth of the torah to accept the garden of eden as our own as a part of our identity and that makes everything as you said earlier 100% true our tendency today is to look at things through kind of a scientific lens what is provable by the way those are the exact words that you used which is so reflective of the age in which we live right mm -hmm. show me if you can show me some archaeological evidence if you find adam's monograph fig leaf right we need the bite we need the bite marks in the apple exactly right exactly right or the tree itself okay then we can have a conversation but that's not what this is about at all this is about something very different than that this is about truth in the larger sense what are the truths of life and ultimately what does it mean to be human what is it that distinguishes human beings from the animal kingdom and ultimately it's all about free will in other words the ability to make choices based upon your values and i think that that's a that's a very important thing that we that we should be underscoring yeah but it seems like you're also saying in that ability to choose comes the ability to choose faith and to decide that i believe this whether logic sustains it or not whether logic supports it or not it's kind of like saying i believe this is the person my soulmate i was meant to marry this one person on the entire planet there's no one else that i could have been with there's nothing wrong with choosing that with believing that it's it's beautiful right and of course you you can't prove it in just like you can't disprove it there's no question about it but in, in other words the larger idea of what is truth can't prove it can't disprove it but it's there right i found the one person for me etc i want to take this a step further because what what we're talking about is the very essence at least from the torah's perspective of what it means to be human and to be human means to lead with your values 
to lead with your values, that the choices I make are value laden. So, I'll get, you know, as you know, I'm a dog owner and my dogs don't make a ethical choice or value laden choice about what they do in the house. <laughs> we take it, right? You know, they, they are trained, hopefully, sometimes. And it's not about some reasoned decision about the sanitary nature of the house or maybe the imposition that they're putting on other people when they don't go to go to the bathroom outside. Right. That's not what this is about. It's about reward and punishment and nothing to do with values. Whereas human beings are the only animal that are actually guided by their values, and they have to make choices daily. We make hundreds of choices, right? Whether you, you know, allow the person to walk, you know, you know, in the crosswalk, or we're always making choices about how we're comporting ourselves. And I think the Torah is really getting to that. Make your choices, understand their consequences of your choices, but lead with your values. And that means from the Torah's perspective, aligning yourself with God and the values of Torah. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And, and the, you know, the choices you make, even when you don't think you're making them, you know, say a lot about who you are and, and the values that are baked in. And I guess the question is, can those change? Can we improve our set of values so that we uh, act the way we want to more often and fail less often? I think that we have been living in a capitalistic universe that somehow believes that values will kind of come from the marketplace, that if people have the opportunity to help other people, as opposed to enlarging their bank accounts, that that's what they're going to do. But I think we've watched and seen that doesn't happen that way as much as we'd like to see it happen. And this notion that we hear about so often in our society is, well, why'd you do it? So, well, if I wouldn't have done it, somebody else would have done it, right? So why shouldn't I make the money? Why shouldn't I do that? There's no values in there. It's valueless. It's all about, you know, who has the most money. I don't want to be the schmo who doesn't, you know, take the deal, even though it's questionable from a values perspective. There are going to be 10 people lining up. I've got board members. I've got shareholders. And the CEO says, you know what? They'll just replace me. At least I'm trying here. We are really, in a sense, living in the Garden of Eden. And there's the tree. And what are we going to decide? What does it mean to be a person of value? What does it mean to have real knowledge? So I think that the Garden of Eden may be the most true of all stories in the Bible from that perspective. <laughs> I like the way you came around and that got me on that. Um, yeah, I, I find that argument very compelling um, because it is the ultimate truth that we have responsibility for the choices we make and that we need to, uh, as you said, put our choices in line with our values. And if your values are good and our choices are good, then we're living better lives. I think that's right. But ultimately, we're living human lives. Yes. I I'm going to quote from Maimonides. He says, all people have the freedom of choice to either follow God's laws or not to follow those laws. Only human beings with their knowledge and thought can distinguish good from evil, choose between the two, 
and no one can stay his hand from doing good or evil. And I think his last line is that God is not going to stop us from doing good or evil. No one, meaning including God, right? If a person is intent on doing evil, doing the wrong thing, they're going to do it. And that opens up a whole issue about good and evil in the world. People will do it unless we not only teach values, but our values are going to also encourage us to take risks to create a better society, to say no when we see other people not acting properly. And I think that that's precisely the moment that we're living in right now. How are we going to do that? And how do we go forward? And what are the values that we're teaching uh, to our kids and to the next generation? That's the question. C, I place blessing and curse before you. That is the Garden of Eden. And I think that's the world we're living in. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And it seems like the stories in the Torah are 100% true. I'm, I'm going up from 70% where I started. You got me up to 100 because we choose to make them true. We choose to make them true. Exactly. We choose. To, I love that. We choose to make them true by how we how we live our values. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Rabbi.